Paul is writing to Christians at Ephesus. He's writing to a body of believers. Turn the lights up a little bit for me. They seem a little dark, if you don't mind. Please. Thank you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14. Paul's talking to Christians at Ephesus, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees unto the Father. Everybody say, Father. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, everybody say family, in heaven and earth is named. Last Sunday, I began teaching on the subject of seven reasons why we need a church family during COVID. I think we can all agree that we're living in very perilous days, unusual days. Things are taking place right now that I've never seen happen in my lifetime. Government interference, government mandates, people's actions, things taking place in the streets of our cities, people's attitudes, people concerning the church, people's attitudes concerning the church, people's attitudes concerning our country. Things I've never heard in all of my life. We're living in very very perilous times. And I admonish you. I admonish you fathers. I admonish you mothers. To look beyond the veil of the natural. And stop depending on the news media. To give you your understanding of what's happening nowadays. And see what the Spirit of God is saying. Because there's a lot of voices, but one that many Christians are missing is the voice of the Spirit of God. And He's talking as well. But the truth of the matter is, He only talks to people who will listen. See, He only talks to people who will listen. So I want to encourage you this morning as Christians, as believers, to guard yourself physically during this COVID season. Guard yourself physically. Please follow the CDC guidelines and make sure you are reasonably protected. I just had another friend this week die of uh, the coronavirus. So make sure you are reasonably protected. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe we walk by faith and not by sight. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus we're healed. I believe Psalms 91, that no plague can come nigh my dwelling. In fact, Manda and I, we proclaim that and declare that over ourselves and our home every single day. But at the same time, I through neglect or ignorance do not want to give Satan or disease an opportunity to attack my body. Through ignorance or neglect, I do not want to give Satan an opportunity. Yet... If I'm attacked, I believe through faith and prayer I can overcome. But I would rather use my faith in other areas instead of trying to get healed from some crazy virus that I've opened the door to. Listen. Saints of God, please listen. This is not the time to take a chance with your health to prove your political views. This is not the time To take a chance with your health to prove your political views. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is demonic. And this is not the time to take a chance 
with your health to prove your political views. This is a time to stay safe and healthy. At the same time, I want to encourage you to guard yourself spiritually. I've been shocked by the spiritual apathy of so many Christians that I knew at one time were so fired up about the things of God. This is not the season to become spiritually lazy or haphazard in our commitment to Christ. In fact, we should guard against spiritual indifference. We should guard against it. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. I hope you brought your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 13. Revelation chapter 3. The Lord is talking to a church. He happens to be talking to a church at Laodicea. And listen to what the Lord says to them. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. Now, you have to understand, Laodicea was a very, um, a very wealthy city. The church was very wealthy. And they had an allegiance formed with the government. It was, uh, it was against the law to worship anybody other than uh, the government officials. But the church had an allegiance form that they could do. They could worship as long as they didn't stir up any trouble. And they wasn't arrested and they wasn't put in prison. They had an allegiance formed with the authorities. And here's what the Lord says to them. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15. Notice verse 15. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent. And turn from your indifference. Look, the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The book of Revelation, this great book, begins with God sending a message to seven churches. There's seven churches. The book of Revelation is written to seven churches, Christians in churches. It's not written to individuals. It's written to people who are part of a local church. And he says here, he sends a message to seven of them. And in each one of them, except one, he, talk, he starts out by talking what he loves about them, the good things they're doing, what he appreciates about them. What he sees about them that is, that is honoring him and pleasing to him. In, if, he, if he needs to correct them or adjust them 
on anything. He'll do that later in his greeting. But he, he always starts out. You can read it for yourself. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. In six of the seven, he always talk, starts out, we would say, bragging on them. Telling them how wonderful they are. Tell them how good, how they've stood in their faith, how they've maintained their faith. Six of the seven, he says good things about. One, he didn't say anything good about. And it's the church of Laodicea. It's the only one of the seven churches that he did not have one good thing. God didn't have one good thing to say. The Laodicea church was located in Turkey. They were very known as a prestigious, very wealthy had government ties, was involved there. And notice what God says to him in verse 15. Notice what God says. I know all the things you do. That you are neither hot nor cold. God says, I know what you do. I know what you do. Can I share something with you? This verse bothers me. In fact, it frightens me. Because we live in a community here in which in some areas it's really popular to be a Christian. In fact, you can claim Christianity here in this community and most communities, honestly, without corresponding works. You can say I'm a Christian but never go to church. You can say, I'm a Christian, but never serve. You can say, I'm a Christian, and, and when was the last time you was involved in a local church body serving your community? Well, we don't, we don't believe in church. But yeah, you can say, I'm a Christian, and people will believe it. Let me tell you something. That's an American theology, not a biblical theology. Notice what God says in verse 15. I know the things you do. He didn't say, I know what you claim. He didn't say, I know what you believe. He didn't say, I, 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 I know what you profess. He says, I know what you do. God is watching what people do. See, our, our actions speak of the level of our faith. Our actions speak of the level of our faith. You say, well, pastor, I thought we're saved by grace and not by works. We are saved by grace and not by works. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. How many of you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9. Notice what the Holy Spirit says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Bible definitely, specifically, and intentionally lets us know that there's nothing we can work, there's nothing we can perform, there's nothing we can do to gain salvation. Salvation comes to us, transformation comes to us, redemption comes to us only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by our works, not by our actions. You can't get good enough. I can't get good enough. I cannot perform well enough. I cannot do. I cannot cease from doing enough bad things. 
to get saved, and I cannot do enough good things to get saved. My salvation is completely, entirely, purely, wholly based upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But after I'm saved, God watches what you do. I know the things you do. The Lord said to the church at Laodicea, I know the things you do. Let me give you another scripture. Turn with me to James chapter 3. Turn over, it's toward the end. It's toward the book of Revelations. It's toward the back of the book. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse number 17. Notice what the Holy Spirit through the writer James says. James chapter 3, verse number 17. He talks about this thing of grace versus works. And notice what he says. So you see, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So you see, faith, faith, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith by itself isn't enough. How many of you realize the Holy Spirit wrote this? He said faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. That's what he said. I didn't say that. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Even, did you know the devil believes? He just won't surrender. He still believes he believes God. He knows what, who God is. He won't surrender to his lordship. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions make his faith complete. God knows what we do. And this is not the season. This time in which we're leaving is not the season to become spiritually lazy or haphazard in our commitment to Christ. In fact, we should guard against spiritual indifference. Well, I can see you're fired up about this. Let me... uh, let, let me try to convince you another way. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. It's, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew the chapter 24, this verse is being preached on more nowadays than any other verse in the Bible. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, the disciples are asking Jesus about the signs of the end time. When is time going to be over. And so in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives them a long list of things that are signs. That when you start to see some of these signs taking place, you can know the end is near. Okay? He says, when you start to see them. Now, over the years, over the years, we've seen uh, glimpses of this one for a while, and this one for a while, and this one for a season, and maybe this one for a decade. But It's up until just recently, in the last 
five years or so that we're starting to see all of them take place at the same time. And verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus says that the first thing that's going to happen in the end is deception's going to run at all time high. Deception. The word deceive means, it means to lead astray, to wonder, to stagger, to lead off course, or to be affected by someone's outside influence and led in the wrong direction. You turn on your TV and all you see is people trying to deceive you. Trying to lead you in their direction. Trying to get you to be for this candidate and be against that candidate. And believe like this and think like this and act like this. And this is what's acceptable. And this is what's mainstream today. And if you believe anything other than what's mainstream today, you're radical and you're out of touch. The Lord said in the last days, there's going to be a lot of voices of deception. And then he says in verse 12, go down to verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus said in the last days, now listen dear saints. Jesus said in the last days, sinfulness and wickedness would increase to the point that it will affect Christians. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you don't watch out, this will get on you, and you are deceived. You don't even see it getting on you. There's a spirit. Can't you, don't you see it in our world? You look, you look around you and see people who you say, they tell you they know Christ. They love the Lord. But their, their commitment to Christ is very shallow. Their commitment to their local church is very shallow. They proclaim one thing, but their works is not very diligent. They look indifferent. And they're good people. They're wonderful people. They're lovely people. And you love them. And we love them. And their family loves them. And they love people. But this spirit of the age, this indifference has jumped on them, and it's so deceptive, they don't even see it. They don't even realize it any longer. And the Lord says to them, in, He says to the church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verse number 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent, and one of, the, one of the first characteristics of indifference is a lack of diligence or faithfulness. And he says, watch yourself. Watch yourself. And turn from that indifference. If you see yourself getting lazy spiritually and not doing your devotions and not being faithful to the house. He said, watch yourself. Turn from that. Turn from that. Turn from that indifference. This is not the season. This is not the season to be complacent, lay spiritually lazy, or haphazard in our commitment to Christ. 
So I've got 15 minutes. Let me share it this way. There's seven. I'm only going to get to two of them. I promise you, you got seven things to say. Ethel, he's got seven things. We're not going to make it to the restaurant. I, I'm not going to get them all today. Okay? I'm not going to get them all today. There's seven, there's seven things, reasons I need a church family during COVID. Did you know because of technology, it is possible to watch almost any type of church service online at a time that works best for your schedule? Electronically, we can watch teaching on various subjects and even interact with others online. Each of these avenues are wonderful tools. It's just wonderful. I love it. I watch, I watch good teaching all week long. It's wonderful tools that can supplement our spiritual development, development, but none of them take the place of the need of our local church. They're wonderful. I love it. I watch it all the time. I'm usually up to 1 o'clock every night watching... John Osteen or, or some worship or, or something like that every night. Where do you think I get my great sermons? I, you know, it's, it's, I watch them every night. Many people have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and love God with all their heart, but they mistakenly believe they can grow spiritually without having a formal connection to a local church. And that's not God's plan. Did you know there are benefits to being a part of a local church? There are benefits. Seven reasons why I need to be a part of a local church right now. Right now in this season. If, if, I wasn't a, if I'd moved to a new, a new city, the first thing I'd find is a good local church. If I proclaimed Jesus as my, local, as my Lord and Savior, first thing I would do, I'd find me a good local church and get involved. You know why? Number one. In my local church, I experienced the special presence of Jesus with my church family. In my local church, when we gather together, there is a special presence of Jesus Christ that you can't get in your prayer closet. When Jesus began teaching on the purpose of the church, this is what he said. Look over at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Notice what he said. Jesus said this. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered, where two or three gathered together as my followers. Notice this next phrase. I am there among them. Listen. When we get together as a body, a congregation, a group of fellow believers, when we come together like we are this morning, as a group of fellow believers, there is a special manifestation of the presence of Jesus that takes place. It's called the corporate presence of God. It's the corporate presence of God. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He came to live within us individually. He came to live within us. But when you and I gather together as a group of believers, each one of us are bringing the presence of Jesus with us, and He honors that gathering, and there is a special manifestation of His presence. 
When we gather to worship as a group of believers in faith and unity, we should expect, we should expect the presence of the Lord to come and minister. That's why we don't just go to church. We gather with expectancy. We don't just, well, I got to go to church. No, you don't got to go to church. You gather with an expectancy. Have you noticed? Have you ever just thought, stopped and think about it? How easy it is to get frustrated, angry, or have a squabble on your way to church? If you want to have a family fight, just get in the car and say, we're going to church. And, the, and the, what we're wearing, you're sitting too close to me. I can't believe you acted this way. You're, going, we're, you're making a slate. You're making a slate. You're going to make a slate. We're late every Sunday. I tell you, if you want to have a good fight, just tell everybody, we're going to church. It always happens. And I, I'm, it's always so wonderful to me to watch it. I mean, I just get tickled because I remember those days and I was the preacher. But I see people coming in here and they put a smile on their face and I know right before they turned into the parking lot, you shut up back there. You be quiet back there. I'm going to get you when we get home. And all of a sudden you come, God bless you. Hallelujah. The goodness of the Lord. Isn't he wonderful? That's just so... Satan hates it when God's people come to worship. And he'll do everything in his power to keep us from coming to worship. As a body. Why? Because he knows when we gather together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. What he's talking about is a worship service. He says, where two or three of you are coming together for the purpose of worshiping me. He says, I'm going to show up. So Satan knows if he can keep us from getting together, he can prohibit and hinder the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've, uh, I've just sat in church services and got an answer to prayer. I've been, I've been worshiping the Lord in a music and in a church service, and all of a sudden I'd receive healing in my body. I'd be sitting in a church service, and the, the pastor would teach something, and if I didn't know better, I would think he was at my dining room table that week listening to my conversation. See, there's just something special about the family of God coming together with an expectancy that God honors. And He shows up. And He manifests Himself. And you can't get that same level at home in your prayer chair. Your prayer chair is wonderful. I have a prayer chair. I love it. I've experienced the presence of God. But it's nothing compared. There's some things that I can't get there that I can easily get when I gather with other people. Sometimes in my devotion, man, I have to dig in. I have to focus. I can just be sitting in a church service and the presence of God will come upon me. It's on those days that you feel weary and you weak and you know your spiritual vitality is not what it needs to be. And yet the other people's faith around you will just bless you and cause you to have an experience with God. And you don't even, you really didn't earn it. 
You just got in on it. I call it a slop over blessing. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in church. You're tired. You're not thinking about it. You're weary. You've had a rough day. You're looking at your watch when this thing going to be over. And then somebody else gets blessed. And before you know it, you get blessed. And you are wanting to go home, but you get a slop over blessing because of the presence of God upon their life. So why do I need a church family? Right now, why do I need a church family? In my local church... I experienced the special presence of Jesus with my church family. I'll close with this one. In my local church, number two, I find a consistency of teaching and preaching that makes disciples. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after the day of Pentecost, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice what the believers did. They devoted themselves to teaching. And to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, followers of all nations, all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples To obey all the commandments I have given you. See, every Christian should regularly hear and embrace the consistent teaching and preaching of God's Word. That's always been God's plan. It's always been God's plan. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. I urge you therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will in His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, the consistent... An anointed preaching and teaching a Christian receives in the local church is the cornerstone of transformation that takes place in our life. The consistent. Yeah, you and I can go online and we can get teaching on uh, healing. We can go online and get teaching on prosperity. We can go online and get teaching on family. We can go, but, but we're picking and choosing. It's the consistent. Teaching of the Word of God that causes disciples to be developed. And Jesus said the mandate for every Christian is to go and make disciples. And He said the way you do that is through teaching. Now, now, let me talk to you now, serious, about your life and your future. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 11. I've never taught this here because I never want people to think. I teach it everywhere. Everywhere else I go, I teach it. And and, and people want me to teach it everywhere else. But I don't teach it here because I don't ever want people to think that I'm pointing to myself. And I've done you a disservice and I apologize. 
But look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And notice the first three words, Christ himself gave. These five, what they're called, they're called the ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. These five offices are given by Christ to the church. These individuals are called of God, equipped of God, and sent by God to a local church. My granny used to say, Son, make sure you're called. Make sure you're called. It's it's not something you just take a, a course on... Take all this stuff and decide what your likes and dislikes and your personality traits. And then you fit best in this one. It's not that. There's got to be a a call. Something eternal and divine. Because if you don't have it, when things get tough, you won't hold steady. And things will get tough. But my granny used to say, son, make sure you're called. I said, granny, I think I'm called. She said, well, make sure you're called. I said, well, I'm, I think I'm called. She said, because some are called and some are sent and some just packed up and went. And, 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 and they're the ones that get in trouble. Some are called, some are sent, some are just packed up and went. Listen, the primary way ministers or ministry gifts lead the church is through anointed preaching and teaching. The primary way. There is a major difference in reading our Bible on our own and hearing the anointed teaching of a pastor. When the church gathers to hear God's Word, the Holy Spirit will speak through the pastor to equip God's people to transform their life. That's why you need to be involved in this season a good local church. You've been said... You have said... You've said in services and heard a pastor who you were committed to that church and you've heard him speak on something that you had a question about and it answered your question. Supernaturally. Why? Because God is moving through that pastor. Well, he can move through the internet. Yes, he can. But this is the pattern he has chosen. If you want to grow in faith and develop spiritually, you must... Be under the ministry of a God-called shepherd who consistently teaches the Word of God. It doesn't really have anything to do about personality. It doesn't have anything to do about the way they dress or the way they look. It has to be, do they teach the Word? Do they teach the Word? Now, let me, let me help you. Please hang with me just for a couple more minutes. Because for your next pastor, you need to choose a guy who's going to teach the Word. And when, if you move and go somewhere else, 
You need to get into a city. When you go to a different city, you need to be find a church where they teach the Word. They might have great worship, and they might have great children's ministries, and they might have a lot of activities that go for community service. And all of those things are wonderful. They're great. They're dynamic. We've tried to do them all around here. But at the same time, it's the way you grow spiritually and stand during difficult days is through your faith in the Word of God. Moses built the tabernacle. You know about it. In the wilderness, Moses built the tabernacle. It, was the, it, was, it represented divine order. Once the tabernacle was built, then the, the Bible tells us the glory of the Lord descended upon the tabernacle. The Bible says when the tabernacle, which represented divine order, when it was established, God's glory came down upon that tabernacle. The Bible tells us it, that glory was as thick as a cloud. Solomon built the tabernacle. And the Bible says when he built the tabernacle and they dedicated it, the glory of the temple, the glory of the Lord, to the point that the priest couldn't stand up because the glory was so thick. Anyone, if they'd get close to it, they'd fall over because they couldn't stand up under their own strength, under the presence of God. But eventually, in all these situations the glory of the Lord eventually begins to diminish due to the sin and indifference of the people. And the glory of God from Moses began to diminish all the way up until the prophet Eli, the king Eli. Remember, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that sinned against the Lord, and he wouldn't correct his children. And the glory of the Lord began to diminish. The Bible even says that the, the candle of the Lord, there was a candle that burned all the time. It began to go out because of the sin and indifference of the people. And the glory of the Lord was, was represented by the ark of God. And it, it, it run all the way up to to Eli, prophet Eli, and, and all of a sudden the Philistines attacked the children of Israel and Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed. And when Hophni and Phinehas and Eli are killed, they die, the Philistines capture the ark of God, which represents the glory of of the Lord. Remember the ark, the glory of God? Remember the raiders of the lost ark? Remember, remember how the, that fire shot out of there when they, you chose foolishly. You remember, the, you remember that movie? You remember that movie? So the Philistines captured the ark. Whoever had the ark had the power of Almighty God. So the Philistines capture their, that ark. And they take it to one of their cities by the name of Ashdod. And they put the ark... Now get this. They put the ark into the same room where the Philistines' god Dagon is. And they leave it there all night. And the next morning, when they go to to that room where the ark is and the 
the god statue to the god Dagon is, they discover, nobody's been in there because they had guards out, they discover that the, the, the false god Dagon had fallen and his head was broken off and his hands were broken off laying at the foot of the ark. So, so the Philistines say, oh, oh man, oh man, oh man. So they took it to different cities. They got it out of Ashdod, away from the statue Dagog. And they, they took it to different cities. They took it to five different cities. And each city they took it to, the people of that community were afflicted with tumors, hemorrhoids. Ooh, that's bad. And plagues of frogs. So they would leave it in this city for a while, and tumors and hemorrhoids and frogs would come. And they said, Oh, they said, We don't want in this city, the mayor of that city, get it out of this city. So we took it over to Smyrna, and Smyrna said, Oh, we don't want it, take it to Laverne. They can, they can deal with it. They, they, they took it to Laverne, and then after five cities, finally the kings of the Philistines said, Oh, we got a feeling that God's against us. Kind of dumb. Took them five cities, bunch of hemorrhoids, but they finally got it figured out. So they said, here's what we're going to do. This is the most amazing story. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of this thing, this ark. And uh, we're going to put it on a new cart. And we're going to... Send it back to them. We're not touching it. We're going to send it back to them. And you know what they did? They found, they put a, built a brand new cart. And they put the Ark of the Covenant on the new cart. And uh, uh, they found two mama cows. Two mama cows. That had just had babies. And they put the babies in a pen. Just had these babies. They put the babies in the pen and they took these mama cows and they hooked them up to the cart. And this was their thinking. Good thinking. They said, if these cows, when those babies begin crying for their mamas, if these cows pay no attention to those babies and keep leaving our territory, we know God's judgment has come upon them, us. But if those mama cows turn back and go to those babies, we know we just... It wasn't God. Well, they hooked these two... They put them baby cows. And baby cows are crying for their mamas. And these two mama cows, they hooked them to the cart. And those mama cows took that cart straight into the Israel's territory. And it, these, these mama cows take this... The Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, they take it into the house, to the property of a man by the name of uh, Abinadad. Abinadad. And the Bi- now, this was during Saul's reign. And the Bible says that the Ark stayed at Abinadad's house for 20 years. And as long as the Ark was at his house, he was the most blessed man in the city. Why? Because the art represented the glory, the anointing, the presence of Jesus Christ. Saul died. Saul never, listen, Saul never asked for the ark, the glory of God, to be returned to Israel. 
He never asked for it in his whole reign. Saul died, David became king, and the first thing that David did, he wanted to bring the ark back to Israel. So the Bible says that David gets all of his generals and all his mighty men and all the priests and people, and he gets them together and say, now we're going to bring the glory of God back to Israel. We're going to bring it back to Israel. And the Bible says they planned the celebration and they played music and they worshipped and they danced and they had all kind of instruments and they, they had this ark on a cart and, 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 and David even picked out two of Abinadab's sons who were righteous men to bring, to, to drive the cart and they get close they're bringing it back David's dancing, people are singing they're worshiping the Lord, the glory of God's coming back into Israel and all of a sudden somewhere along the journey one of the uh, cows the oxen stumbled and the ark just shifted a little bit and one of the drivers of the cart reached back and touched the ark and when he touched the ark He was immediately struck dead. The Bible says that David became angry with the Lord. Angry. I I planned this big celebration for you. I'm bringing the glory back. This is what you wanted. We prepared. We worshipped. We had good music. We had good worship. We had good people. I mean, it sounded... We were doing... With all of our might, the Bible says. We were doing it. And you strike dead one of my good guys. He didn't do he didn't he was trying to help you. David got mad at God. And then he pulled back for a month or so. And the Bible says then he got fearful. Well, Lord, if if I could went to all this and gave you my best, I mean what is going to be acceptable to you? What is going to be acceptable? Finally, he pulls back, takes a few weeks off, calls some teachers of the Word in, said, where did we miss it? They said, don't you realize? You consulted men. You didn't consult the Word of God. If you would have read the Word... You'd have realized the glory of God doesn't come in on cows or oxen. The glory of God is only carried on the shoulders of the priest and the Levites. You see, the reason why you need to be a part of a good local church that teaches the Word of God is because there's a lot of things out here that tell you that sound good, that look good, and you can do it with a lot of passion and with a lot of energy, and and the world might think it's great, and the church world might think it's great, but if it's not in the book, then it's not going to be right. And God doesn't change His plan based upon man's opinion and what's popular. And David finally said, oh, I see it. I, 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 didn't, I, I, I consulted the experts. I consulted the, the worshipers. I consulted other people. I consulted the, the kings. I consulted, I consulted the generals. I didn't consult God. I didn't read the book. I didn't read the Word because it was already in the Word. God already said in the book of Exodus, if you ever move this ark, this is the way you have to move it. And finally, David got it right. 
and had the Levites to bring it in on their shoulders. And the ark came back to Israel and the glory again filled the house. But a man's life, a good man's life was destroyed because nobody read the book. It's so important that you are part of a church where a pastor, his sole purpose, his number one priority is to learn that book and to teach it so you can understand it. Your next pastor, he needs to be a man of the book. If you move to another city, he needs to be a, you need to find a man of the book. Seven reasons why I need a church family during COVID. I need a church family because when I come together with my church family, the special presence of the Lord manifests. And I need a church family because when we come together and hear the word taught, it protects us. And we need protecting in this day, do we not? Stand with me, would you? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the Word of God. We love this precious Word. Now, Father, let the people of God receive the Word of God and let them honor your Word. Holy Spirit, manifest yourself with signs and wonders. And this, this week, no evil shall befall these people. No plague, no virus, no disease can come close to the people of Family Worship Center. We declare healing and health over them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, warn them. Check them up. If they're getting ready to be neglectful, check them up. Remind them. Holy Spirit, lead them this week. No terror, no terrorist can come close to them. Their children and their grandchildren are going to be blessed. Our children who are preparing to return to school, protect them. Get their minds ready to receive and learn. And I pray blessings over every one of these wonderful people. Jesus' name. Amen. We sure do love you here. God bless. Have a wonderful week.